we're so built for this sense of complexity and interconnectedness. We can thrive in a world where this exists. And if we're living in a, a natural environment where there is a huge amount of complexity in the interactions between um, species and um, different parts of the ecosystem, we're thinking about working differently with living systems, thinking less about what is the kind of globalised best practice that we can see by extrapolating information and being much more driven by what is right for that particular place in that context. But I think it is a lot about that being based on focusing on assets to think about change and, and looking at what the potential is. How do you build potential for a system to evolve over time, not just fix a problem that you might look like in the short term. Hello and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and we are in collaboration with Intrepid Ed News. Today's guest is Josie Warden. Josie is the head of regenerative design at the Royal Society for the Arts. She's particularly interested in the intersection between design, environment, and economy, and is currently leading the RSA's work on circular and regenerative economy and manufacturing. She originally trained as a textile designer and holds a master's degree in leadership and sustainable development. Those who have been listening to the podcast will recognize this pattern of interweaving school thought leaders and doers within the realm of education with folks who give us a little bit of a different perspective, a living systems perspective, one based in regeneration. The goal here is to really push the conversation. The goal here is to really try to understand the system that is education, but also learning and really society at large and our place within the Earth's ecosystem as large, because the pattern here from our point of view is one of trying to think about it in in nested holes. Now, this desire to interweave comes from the fact that we have been having the same conversation about the future of education for 100 years, since John Dewey, since Miriam Montessori, and yet we are still here, still talking about how the system hurts kids, hurts adults, doesn't serve society, and feeds an extractive culture. Now, if we've been talking about it for 100 years and nothing changes for the system, there is no reason why we won't be talking about it for another 100 years should the planet survive. So looking at it from a living systems point of view is a different way of understanding the system. It is less linear and more regenerative, that is circular. It is about everything being a whole and a nested whole. Now, really the fundamental point here is that systems thrive when certain conditions are met. Now that could be positive or negative, but they thrive in times when certain conditions are met and those conditions therefore become values. And my position is that unless we change the values that we hold individually and as a collective, we will not be able to change the system. We can talk about the future of education all we want if we continue to hold the same values, values based around individualism, meritocracy, competition, and scarcity. We can talk about future education all we want. Nothing will change. We have to change the values. And that will change or have repercussions on the conditions, which in itself create new system or redesign the system. So this conversation with Josie is particularly enlightening because of the perspective that she brings, because of the ideas that she brings in terms of what it means to move away from the linear thinking. And her coming from the RSA shows that we can open up the conversation of learning to make it a lifelong um, endeavor, a lifelong challenge and a lifelong experience. But without further ado, I will leave space for my conversation with Josie Warden. 
Uh, hi, Josie. It's uh, lovely to have you on our podcast. I'm very interested in uh, some of your ideas around regeneration, uh, how the Royal Society for the Arts uh, works with regeneration, because it's not something necessarily that you would put together. So I, I really am keen to find out more about your work there, some of the projects you have, uh, and also just looking at some of your thinking around living systems and maybe framing it within learning and schools as a living system. First question I'll ask, though, is who are you? What are your passions? And how do you try to make a difference? Thank you so much, Benjamin. It's really, really pleasure to be here um, and really pleasure to the conversation. Um, so, yeah, my name is Josie Warden and I'm Head of Regenerative Design at the RSA or the Royal Society for the Encouragement of Arts, Manufacturers and Commerce, the title in its full sense. Um, and so that means that um, my role is to look at how regenerative design kind of is explored within the organisation, but also to build partnerships with other organisations and to run projects and to think about how this all looks in practice. Um, but I suppose in terms of my passions, I'm, I think I'm really interested in how as humans, we sort of live with the tension of, of making sense of complexity um, in a world that is yeah, very complex with lots of different things happening and how as a, a species, we're kind of perfectly designed to, to live in that kind of space, but we also find it very challenging. So I'm really interested in those kind of tensions and particularly in the role of design and what that can do for helping us to make sense of things and to explore the world around us. Well, I'd love to pick up this idea of design and speak specifically what regenerative design is uh, and maybe contrasting that with design thinking. Uh, but before we get to that, I'll ask you the question that we ask all our guests in order to try to get a shared understanding. Uh, how do you define learning? It's a really good question. Um, I think the way I was thinking about it um, is around the sense of, I guess, to be to be alive is to be learning. It feels like humans are always learning in different contexts. But I was thinking actually even beyond humans, um, it's not just us that learn, so different species, but also the idea of ecosystems learning and how evolution has happened and how nature kind of learns and builds and develops over time felt really interesting. Um, I think with learning, there's maybe a sense of there's a there's the learner, the sort of object and subject of like what the learner and who, who who's learning and what are they learning and in what context. I feel like that context is really important. Um, and I think the interesting thing about humans, I suppose, is that our ability to layer learning. So we, it's cumulative and we can build on learning that's happened from pre people before us or cultures before us. Um, but I was also reflecting on the maybe the difference between learning and um, gathering wisdom, that maybe they're not always the same thing, because we can be very good at learning, learning things and not in in isolation or in particular context, but maybe there's a, another layer, a layer of learning above above that is the kind of where we maybe can gather wisdom and look at how things um, pan out over a long space of time. So I think it's, yeah, interesting to think about it in that sense. Um, but I think particularly that idea of learning happening uh, at different layers is interesting. So you can learn as an individual, you can learn within a community or as part of a community. And then also maybe this idea that kind of ecosystems or bigger systems can also learn, uh, I think is, is really interesting. I love this idea about learning as an individual and learning as, as a collective, learning as a society, learning as a community, whatever that might mean, learning, learning as a species, learning as part of the, of the living world. Um, and, uh, and that's certainly something in schools that, that isn't really thought of because we individualize. And, and I want to get to that in a minute, but tell me more about gathering wisdom. What, ex, let's explore that. That's, that sounds like a fascinating concept, especially as we think about regeneration and, and ancient wisdom. So, so what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I think like when I was reflecting on the difference between maybe learning and gathering wisdom is that sense that um, how do we maybe learning around sort of pattern spotting and sense making that you can do that 
in a um, in a very kind of isolated and focused sense of I'm learning how to um, to, to interact with uh, my neighbor for example there's a kind of like you start to build that you start to build those patterns you start to recognize like how you can um live in you know in good relationship with your neighbor for example but actually there's then that sort of layer above that of like how do you pop spot those patterns that exist over a lifetime of experiencing that over a lifetime of different kinds of relationships and maybe that's where we kind of can gather wisdom where these these kind of bigger patterns that we can spot over time and um, which i think is as you said there's really interesting sense of how we learn from um different wisdom traditions around the world where we, we maybe see over over millennia kind of patterns of understanding how to work with the with the environment around um communities or with one another start to build over time um and i think that's the interesting thing with we're thinking about you know, humans have learned so much over um the time that we've been on earth um but actually some of the things that we do are not is not always wise in the long term and we're seeing at the moment I think the impacts of um, the huge amount of learning and growth that's developed you know post-industrial revolution but actually some of the choices we've been making we now realize have not been necessarily very wise and so maybe we need to connect into some of the sort of deeper wisdom that's been around in different communities to see like actually how do we um, live in best relationship with the world around us because we know through the impacts of climate the impacts on biodiversity etc that we are are um, have been making choices that actually aren't, don't serve us in the long term. So I think that's that really interesting sense of the can be wisdom in lots of different communities and different places. And it's because like we're in a really interesting point now of how do we um, reflect on and pool and and learn from that wisdom and not just the kind of in, individual bits of information and knowledge that we have in different domains. Um, but I think that's what's interesting about um, the organisation I work for. So the RSA has been around for 260 years. Um, it started in the Enlightenment period in the UK, in London, and was a space where people could come together to look at resolving challenges that were existing in society at the time and which weren't being fixed or supported either by the government or by the kind of open market. Um, and so people came together to think about what could we do about challenges like child labour, um, about challenges around, um, you know, needing to develop different resources around the challenges that like people being lost at sea and they would sort of put out, put out premium prizes where people anyone from any different background could come up with an idea pool it and then think about how we kind of created these common um, solutions to things and I think that's the really interesting sense of now again how do we again kind of crowdsource that wisdom and that knowledge from different places to try and deal with the challenges that we currently have because we know that just looking at individual um kind of expertise isn't isn't really enough when we have so much complexity like how do we pull all of those different things together so i think that's what yeah is exciting about the organization and what what is possible but also maybe the kind of challenges that we're facing at the moment and it's it's so i'm, I'm going to look at linear picture here uh i know we could talk about anything but for me it's i, I can see this linearly because of the layer so like a cake but um but we have the what is individuals that we that we can learn and then what we can learn maybe as, as a group, as a community, but that also extends beyond the life of the individual, right? And, and it goes up and it goes down and, and there's that reciprocity there. And so the learning piece happens over an infinite range of time, or maybe not infinite, of course, because, you know, everything's finite, but, but we understand each other here. I mean, that, that's, a, that's a fantastic concept. And actually, that makes complete sense. I mean, that's, that's, we, we pick up on each other and, and the, the developments that we do and, and, and how we go, that's, that's actually quite intuitive, yet groundbreaking. 
yeah it's I think that yeah there is that how you have different layers of learning and different speeds and different places for that because it I think it's it's really interesting thinking about the way we approach education um I mean definitely in the UK context of be, feeling very much now that education is a is a part you know part of your life you are in education at the beginning and then it feels like we've started to have conversations more about what does sort of more lifelong learning look like and what are the spaces for that happening but also really interesting to think about how we um have learning between generations and across kind of even longer time periods because again I think is in the kind of current economic framing that we have the sort of short-term cycles are really important um so how we think about stretching that idea of learning I think is is really really interesting so that we can and we talk a lot about needing to learn from the past but actually how do we really build that into um not just learning kind of content but learn spotting patterns and seeing how human dynamics change over time how relationships with ecosystems change over time um, and kind of building that kind of learning in feels like it could be could be really exciting um, and really important i think at this at this moment schools just aren't built like that are they i mean it's all about skills it's all about uh, in the individual atomizing uh, all about uh, assessment you can't you can't even you look at your notes even though you know in the world i mean i think of coders nobody nobody writes code from scratch they all take from and, and borrow from their code it's very it's a reciprocal arrangements like that um where, where do you think this this is going to take us or what do you think needs to maybe uh shift or is it possible how does this work? And, and I'll open this up towards thinking about schools as living systems rather than as these um, Newtonian mechanistic entities. So I'm just kind of opening that, that those possibilities. Um, so so that, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think what you've just touched on there around this, the kind of um, mechanistic approach is really interesting. I think where a lot of, um, again, our thinking on where regeneration comes from this sense of how we've over the last, I mean, it's debatable like how this started, but definitely over the last centuries, and particularly coming from the West and particularly coming from the UK, I think that also the sense of how do we start to see the world a bit in a more mechanical sense, thinking about the way of, the way of learning and making sense of things is to separate them and to you know view them in isolation, um, is really interesting and that is so pervasive now in our society in the way of our thinking and the way we're kind of we're educated both in terms of the actual formal education system, the way that we learn you know, um, subjects separately is, is really pervasive, but also the kind of sense that you learn in order to then contribute through the kind of work you're doing rather than necessarily looking at learning about being a kind of whole community or a whole person um, endeavor. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that feels really spot on, that separation around moving into this kind of mechanistic space. How we then think more maybe about looking at those living systems and holes because the, the kind of world we live in is not made up of these individualized siloed things everything is incredibly interconnected and interwoven so much so that it's um it's really impossible to take out one thing and look at it on its own because it will always change in terms of the context and the the, the way that it's working so i think it feels like a really interesting moment where we're re maybe recognizing that that approach has served the kind of mechanistic approach has served us in one respect but really hasn't in others because kind of what I was saying earlier about this, the impacts that we're having on the world are a huge part, I think, because we have not thought about the connections between things. We've kind of optimized individual elements and not thought about the relationships with others. Um, so a lot my, my original background and then a lot of my work has been 
in the in fashion I think it's such an interesting space because it's a great expression of like culture and identity and how we see the world as humans and it's also it's a great example of how we've kind of optimized supply chains but also then hugely externalized the costs on people and the environment through the impacts of the production um, process and so I think we're in a space where we're thinking actually this that approach is not serving us as well what is the alternative and that's the kind of interest I think moving back towards this idea of living systems which is really embedded in human history and human evolution I think that's again what I was kind of alluding to at the beginning of saying we're so built for this sense of complexity and interconnectedness we can thrive in a world where that this exists and if we're living in a um a natural environment where there is a huge amount of complexity in the interactions between um species and um, different parts of the ecosystems but at the moment we kind of struggle with that and I think the the interesting shift is how we can maybe move away from in terms of education looking specifically at these are kind of bits of content knowledge that you need to know into how you kind of create the conditions for people to be able to flourish in that complexity over time and I think if as we're seeing it feels like you know even in the past couple of years there is such a huge amount of change happening the sort of sand that we're working on the ground we're working on is shifting all the time and getting used to that being the new normal um or maybe that has always been normal we've just been living in a slightly false sense of security or a false sense of permanence over the last couple of decades but that we need to then support people who want to learn to deal with that change and that flux and those living systems and that's a different kind of skill set it feels like it's focused on that building that capability to continue to kind of deal with change over time as opposed to educating people to work within a predetermined economic system, which actually we know is changing. Um, so I think that feels like really exciting how schools can then be the catalyst for that kind of space, how they support people within their community, but also that community to then feel part of that bigger world and that bigger change and to be a place where you can explore those changes because dealing with change at a kind of global level, you know, the, the kind of emotional as well as the physical impact of the pandemic now obviously we're seeing in the in particularly you know people have been affected in Europe by the impact of the the war in the Ukraine it's a lot to kind of handle for people but if schools and places in your kind of community can be a place where you can explore and test and evolve new ideas and new ways of working that feels like a really exciting place for them to be kind of catalyst for change as opposed to just working within the kind of current the current paradigm and and delivering people into that into that kind of economy. And when I hear you talk about the volatility of the world, the uncertainty, I mean, the, that acronym VUCA comes to mind. And um, maybe you, maybe you could spend a little bit of time uh, explaining um, a little bit more about what a living system is. And, and the reason I, I, um, I, I say this is because sometimes when you think of VUCA world, oh, we live in a world of uncertainty. So we have problem after problem, which requires solution after solution, which is a very linear way of thinking, which of course, uh, it goes counter to, to, a, to a living systems, not counter, but uh, is, is different from a living systems framework. So what is the difference between a more linear problem solving way of looking at the world and more of a living systems way of looking at the world? So I describe a living systems way of looking is to, to recognize that that the world is made up of lots of different systems that are interconnected and also nested. So I think a way I often explain it is that um, we, if you think about your heart, your heart is a system and it's like it's the self, but it only really fulfills its purpose as a system when you see it within your circulatory system, within relationship to other organs, within relationship to your body, your body and your community, etc. So they're all they're all sort of nested systems that are made up of one another 
And if you're thinking about wanting to grow the health of your heart, it's not enough just to look at your heart. You need to look at all the systems that it's part of. So those sort of systems and that idea of kind of creating health is about looking at the whole and those wider connections in living systems. And that's quite different to more kind of linear approaches where maybe you look at those individual components on their own. But with living systems, also the sense is that they will always continue to evolve and change over time because of the relationships between all these different um, parts within them. It's not like a mechanistic system with like a, an engine which will stay the same um, over time. It won't, you won't kind of come back to it and it will have evolved into something else. Um, living systems have and will always kind of change and evolve and adapt in relationship to things. And they can maintain a kind of um, equilibrium, I suppose, within their, within their spaces or if something really significant shifts within them or without them like externally, then they can tip and change into something that looks very different. So you might see that in um, natural ecosystems when there is a, um, a, fire, a forest fire, for example, that obviously completely changes the, the sort of nature of the environment, but then it, the system will evolve and change and adapt into something, maybe looking very similar to what happened before, or it might look slightly different. Um, I think that's something that we are, maybe our kind of the more mechanistic approach has been quite hard to, to grapple with the sense that, we are quite used to then, as you said, that bringing the idea of solution, sort of solutioneering of like, we see a problem, we fix it, and we think that problems are then going to be fixed in the long term. But actually, because living systems are always changing and evolving, often you might find that by the time you kind of put that solution into in place, the conditions you're trying to affect have already changed. Or you might find that you, you know, implement a solution, and then a little while down the line, something else has happened, and therefore it no longer works. So I think that's been a a big challenge that we kind of think that we can input the, these solutions and then everything will be okay again so I think working with living systems is then that sense of how do you work with that idea of continual change and I think it involves being more responsive to um, what you're seeing in the short term as in not kind of looking at a system analyzing it going away making a plan and coming back in and kind of trying to deliver it which is what often happens with policy you would look at, you know, analyze what's happening in, a, in the education system, go away, think, right, what we need to do is change X, Y, Z, come back and try and implement it, by which time something else has changed. Um, or you find that in practice that doesn't actually work as well. So it's kind of thinking more about how do you test an experiment and then and get that feedback in more real time um, to allow things to change. Um, and that's quite a big, if you're thinking about the context of design, for example, design education, um, is very good at teaching people how to um, you know, create products or, or create interventions like that, but not necessarily so good at helping them think about the wider system that that product is going to go into. So you have great examples where, um, for example, a few years ago, I think it was Dell made a computer that had a bamboo casing, which was like, this is environmentally friendly, but it had there was no context of how that fitted into the um, system that it was going to enter, as in the kind of waste and resource recovery system and they didn't know how to deal with that because it's totally different to what they normally got so again like how do you educate people to think not just about an intervention but actually how it fits within the kind of wider system that they're working with and recognizing that you need to kind of look at those different layers too um, and then I think the final thing still living systems is the importance of context and place and again I think we've been very good in the last few centuries around um universalizing knowledge and saying that something that we can see can then would then apply everywhere and actually the living systems approach is very much again based on um seeing how um, ecosystems work and they are totally specific to place so 
what works for the conditions in that area will determine what develops and what changes and what evolves over time. And similarly, so as we're thinking about working differently with living systems, thinking less about what is the kind of globalised best practice that we can see by extrapolating information and being much more driven by what is right for that particular place in that context. And that involves a lot of deep understanding of the living systems in that place. And that's made up of the landscape and the um, environment, the climate, the geology, um, but also the kind of cultural identity and the flows of information, the flows of um, transport, et cetera. Those things then evolve what would be right for a place. So I guess thinking about the school context, again, it's like what is right for a school in that location? What is What are those natural flows, but also those cultural and um, knowledge flows in that space too? So I think that's how, yeah, how I think about the kind of living systems approach. And Josie, you're putting me in a very tough position here because there's a lot that I want to grab onto. A lot of these 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 strings that that you're that you're giving me, and and um, uh, so I'll I'll try to 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 organize these strings in a way. The the, the first thing that that came out is is this idea of, of design thinking, then also the difference between sustainability and regeneration, and then of course uh, the context of school. Um, so I'll pick design thinking first of all, and and one of um, you know the design thinking is is just that right? It, it, it's it's that solutions uh, mentality. Yes, they say we have to empathize with the user, but it doesn't. One of the things that it misses is trying to understand ourselves. What do we bring to the process? which should probably happen before we even empathize. And that is a whole can of worms because understanding who we are is also part of the context of it. But design thinking is about the solution. It's about prototyping. It's about testing. And then after, after we, we, we test it and get it out, th there's none of that circularity or at least that reiteration does happen. But, but it's really not built in the process. You talk about uh, regenerative design and you have what? Uh, I think I, I wrote down here it's, uh, seven or eight steps. Um, eight steps about what that looks like. And, and they're quite dissimilar from design thinking. Can you tell us a little bit more about what regenerative design is and how that contrasts with design thinking? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so I guess maybe if I go back to what I think design is <laughs> and, then, and then how that's evolved. So I think, I guess I think about design as being um, exploring the, the what if um, in, in life. And that can be through many different ways it can be through developing products it can be through developing systems saying what what could be how could we do things differently um and that's maybe where I, so where I work for example we have a huge research team too and I think I also often think about research as being sometimes the what is what how do you make sense of what's happening in design but also be then the what if around what how okay how could we sort of live differently or, or change things um or better kind of support what's already happening um, but it's true, and the design, so I guess design over the last century has really changed in its sort of understanding from design being product, so you know how you create a mug or a um, car, design product to kind of serve the needs of a place. That's often again being about kind of living differently. So for example, you know, the invention of the car and the development of that and completely changed the way we live in organized societies um, through design in the last few decades becoming around um, not just about designing products or even services, but also design as a way of approaching problem solving. Um, and I think that, as you said, that framing then can be problematic in the sense of the idea that you can, there can be problems that you can solve. And I think in some cases there 
though obviously there can be, if you're thinking about how to design an engine most effectively, there will be specific problems that are complicated problems, which can, where there is a kind of solution that you can find that will work well. But then when we start applying that to complex problems, such as how do we live you know, well in a community, actually that's quite there isn't there isn't an answer to that there isn't a kind of perfect there isn't physics isn't going to tell you how to do that there are specific things that we need to um explore and sort of develop and there'll be different ways that you know the communities can find that kind of harmony um, and so sometimes applying that idea of problem solving is then challenging because you, there is the notion that you can solve and fix something often in a kind of permanent way but i think where design so that, that can be a critique of design thinking. And as you said, that sense too, that it's often based on um, what is needed by humans and not necessarily taking into account what's needed by other, other um, species or ecosystems that will be involved in a space. So if you're thinking about a design, using design thinking to design a, um, a kind of urban landscape, what is it that humans need in that space to support them to thrive? We may not necessarily in recently have always encountered what, you know, considered what the, the other species need. Um, but also it's often very much focused on not just humans, but on the individual human. So what does this person need um, to fulfill, to fulfill their kind of needs around um, listening to music? And then you can start creating so that, that framing then starts creating like individualized listening, you know, you use music on your headphones, on your, on your phone, et cetera. So there is that kind of challenge with that. I think where, going back to then my original definition of design, I think that sense that design can explore the what if is a really exciting thing to hold on to because it is such a such a human trait that we've always kind of interacted with our environment, explore things differently, try to work and try to learn and evolve. Um, but I think the interesting thing about regenerative design is that I think it draws a lot more on assets that are exist within a place so rather that sometimes design thinking can come from a um, a deficit based model of what do people need whereas I think regenerative thinking and regenerative design can come more from an asset based space of what exists here already that has potential to evolve and develop and support this place to flourish in the long term and so that can be then drawing on well actually there are really good um, skills based in this community there was a really strong sense of, there was a really strong sense of neighborhoodness perhaps or actually this place has a really strong connection to the sea and the kind of idea of um, information flowing in and out and I think that that sense of being based a lot on assets is really important because that's how I think um, ecosystems develop in in nature too the sense of like what is right for this place what could develop um, rather than being based on that kind of deficit model. Um, and again, the idea with regenerative design is, is also that it brings in um, the idea of kind of those, that wholeness and living systems approach too. So how do you not just think about what the kind of initial challenge you're looking at, but also the kind of wider systems that's going to be part of. Um, but I think the, actually one of our um, directors at the RSA, because a lot of us come from quite different design backgrounds, has also been thinking about what what is the kind of constellation of design practices how does that support you to collectively look at things differently because there are other practices too like futures like futures design and um, service design and all of these come from slightly different kind of backgrounds and 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 look at things in slightly different ways so regenerative design i think is a again another part of that kind of constellation of practices that we can all there are things that we can draw on from all of them to to learn things differently um 
But I think it is a lot about that being based on focusing on assets to think about change and, and looking at what the potential is. How do you build potential for a system to evolve over time, not just fix a problem that you might look like in the short term? But what is that kind of what? How do you create the conditions for that to evolve well over time? And if you add the word school into everything you said, or at least you know replace it, uh, that's exactly what we find often is that it's a deficit based model. How are we going to close this gap? How are we going to get such and such kid to age related standards rather than appreciate the you know the the ecosystem that is the child and the assets that they bring? Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's really interesting. Um, it's it's very much yeah, as you say, focus on trying to make sort of fit people into a particular way of approaching things, um, and we see that I guess a lot with you know I, I came I did I came from a design education route. Um, but for, the, for there's a huge, you know, I'm, sure I'm really interested in how we also learn not through, um, I guess, through doing things like making or experiencing learning in different ways that, again, often in our education system are not privileged um, is really interesting because there are so many different ways of acquiring that, acquiring knowledge and understanding. Um, and again, so regenerative thinking is often then and design is about bringing different ways of knowing together. And that knowledge can be through kind of I guess, head knowledge that we've kind of learned, or it can be through ex lived experience, or it can be through more like ta tactile or tacit knowledge. Um, and that feels like, again, something that we we don't necessarily do as well in formal education. I want to go back to this idea of sustainability uh, and regeneration. Now, it's, it's not an opposition. In some ways, though, it can be, depending on how, how, we, how we look at them. I'm thinking about, for instance, the Sustainable Development Goals um, and the fact that uh, they have that word goals associated to it, whereas maybe sustainability and regeneration needs to be a mindset, a process. Um, I'm also thinking about this uh, simple example of, oh, well, we're cutting too many trees and we still need to cut trees to produce you know, whatever paper. So to be sustainable, we'll just plant more trees and, and, and not taking into account maybe biodiversity or not, it's, it's still a very linear process. What what are your thoughts on 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 the, on on what distinguishes um, sustainability and and regeneration and, and maybe looking at some of the sustainable development goals and and how how that fits into well I guess the wider picture. Yeah, I think what you said then around mindset I think feels really central to this conversation, and I think I see regeneration as a a mindset a way of because it's a way of seeing the world as made up of living systems and that does then shift the way that you interact with things um, and I think so in a very very basic sense we often describe the difference between sustainability and regeneration as the difference between sort of trying to do less harm and trying to do more good that's very simplistic but it's quite easy to understand that difference um, and I think so I think regenerative sustainability um, as it is kind of currently widely sort of understood, again, has that focus on um, sort of on deficit about how do you prevent more bad things from happening? Um, how do we minimise the kind of impact we have? Um, and I think that isn't necessarily where, I don't think that's where sustainability came from. I think the kind of thread that now lives through regeneration that is a bit more of a holistic understanding is very much at the heart of sustainability. But I think as things become more into the um, mainstream, they also get pulled towards 
the mainstream way of thinking. So I think, and I'm sure that will happen with the kind of programming generation too. I think it's probably inevitable in the long term, but there is this pulling, I think, of sustainability back towards the kind of current business as usual. And therefore it becomes a, a bit of an, an add-on to the way we currently do things, as opposed to really fundamentally rethinking the challenges and the way that we approach we approach um, life. And so I think I see a similar thing with the sustainable development goals where I think they're a really important kind of staging post in change because again it kind of created a um a line in the sand for people to get behind and that's not to be underestimated I think when we're looking at these kind of big global challenges um but it's also very much based on um our current worldview which is about kind of separating things often seeing things in isolation although there is the goal that then thinks about how they work together in reality it's not it's that's not really embedded across all of them um and it doesn't question the kind of particularly the the economic paradigm that we live in I think it doesn't kind of go into that sense around or what does it mean to to kind of look for continued growth on on a planet that is finite like how do we it doesn't get into that question I think it's they're important to kind of yeah as I say draw a line in the sand and get people behind things but actually there is I see more potential in exploring the regeneration framing which is then around actually what could happen if we really really kind of shifted those mindsets thought more about working in living systems thought more about the importance of kind of place and context and that local to global as opposed to the global down to local context um and that I think is that shift from sustainability to regeneration that sense of actually how do we have how do we look at the potential in places and the potential to grow new kinds of futures and I think it's an to me it's a more um human narrative too because sometimes sustainability can feel like it's all about doing less and being being a bit less and having less impact which feels very much not a human sense of like it's about it was a bit more static whereas regeneration feels like much more about being um and evolving and changing which is something that has been so human and the fact that there's only three of the goals that are even supposed to deal with nature shows just how anthropocentric the whole thing is yeah yeah, exactly. It is, yeah, very anthropocentric um, and very um, focused on one way of seeing evolution in the world. So I think that's the exciting thing about regeneration too, is the sense there's, um, I really love the work of uh, Arturo Escobar, who's a um, Colombian anthropologist who talks about the pluriverse and the sense that actually we're, how do we move towards not just a world where you can have different ways of doing stuff, but actually a world of many worlds. Um, which I think sounds is really exciting in that sense of what is right for those different places, um, and therefore the solution, or not even solutions, but the ways forward could look really different in really different places. Um, and again, the sustainability, sustainable development goals are more focused on how do we, as a as a globe, kind of move towards a particular space. Um, and so yeah, I think that have been important staging posts, but and I think that's the thing with like how you also move move how change happens and how people make sense of what's happening there are always those sort of staging posts to new things but I think seeing them as a it's important to see them as a as that as a sort of staging post and a framework that's it's not the same as it's that kind of that framing of it's the the map is not the territory of seeing that sense that it's it's a way towards something it's not a goal it's not the end in itself and I think your your kind of point around them being goals is is important how do we not see them as like the end point it's about moving towards something else. Tell us a little bit about the work 
that you do at the RSA, some of the projects that are involved. Uh, I, I know this. Uh, you, you mentioned fashion. I know that's that's one of the one of the lines that that's going through it. What what are some of the things that that are happening and 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 how does it fit into the RSA as a whole? Um, and how is it, of course, distinct in itself? So, so the RSA, we to give a bit, I guess, a bit of context to the organisation. We um, are. So we have a staff body and then we have 30,000 fellows who are around the world who are all interested in the work of the organization who are all working on sort of change in their own places and so the organization's mission is around uniting people and ideas um, to kind of work on the challenges of the time and we're really interested in how different places and different people can participate in that and again that comes back to the kind of heritage of the organization around solutions and or in the past but also like how we move forward now coming from different places and so we do it through um different ways so we have um people who support the, the fellows projects we run public events which are around kind of getting new ideas and new ways of thinking out to people but then we also run our projects that are um either entirely run by us or often more often run in partnership with other organizations and so they can be a mix of kind of research and also practical action projects and so within the kind of work that we've been doing around regeneration, um, we've had a couple of different kind of ways of exploring this. And this has been quite, I guess for us, been quite exploratory because we have also been trying to learn about what we think regeneration looks like in our own practice and how we could learn about it as an organisation, knowing that there are lots of people who've been working on this for a long time, many of you, many of whom you've had on the podcast. Um, so we've been kind of exploring this and seeing it as a bit of a test bed in the organisation to develop this practice. And so some examples of projects recently, we've been working on a couple of different ways of exploring long-termism. And that's, that's been working through um, partnerships with other organisations, but to think and have discussions about what it means to, to think and act in the longer term um, through different mechanisms. So through how art can support us to think differently about that, how it can change in policy, um, how it can change by learning about um, other disciplines like geologists who kind of think very differently about time so that's been we think that's quite a core cool kind of framing for this idea of regeneration um, and then some other projects we've done a couple that have been focused quite a lot on fashion um, and again that's because sometimes fashion can seem like a funny area to start this but actually once you sort of dig into it it has such a as I said earlier such a huge impact on the way we live it's so, so closely to uptides and how it has been across history to kind of economic developments and economic changes and social changes, that it's just a really interesting kind of expression that actually something that people can connect with too because we all wear clothes. Um, so a project we were doing this year has been working with um, the town or the city of Leeds in uh, the north of England. And so Leeds has was built on the textile trade in the UK, um, but also it's had a huge impact on of the way textiles and, and fashion has evolved across the globe in terms of being kind of one of the earliest places for mass manufactured clothing, um, red, mass manufactured ready to wear clothing, um, but then has also suffered the kind of decline um, over the last half century as the textile trade has shifted offshore. So there's some really interesting dynamics around how that has been part of the heritage of the town um, and then how it's also been part of the kind of changing um, industry and, and um, makeup of the town and so the question we've been exploring with people um, from a, a local organization there has been if we know and we do know that the fashion industry has to change very much globally what would the role of a place of Leeds be in shaping that new direction forward and that's involves um, kind of what I was saying earlier around trying to explore all of those different assets in that place so what exists there at the moment both through the kind of heritage 
um, the culture, the skills, um, the academia, and um, the institutions, that what, what is there that could be a kind of test bed or development case for, for, for moving forward. Um, so that's been a lot of thinking about working with people to think about what the future could look like, what would they like to see in that place, and then what are some experiments that could take place to move towards that. So we've seen organisations put together, they noticed that people didn't necessarily know about the heritage, so there's been a big trail that's been developed to help people sort of make sense of that, um, that heritage, but in the context of thinking about the future. Um, a lot of around kind of workshopping, how to bring people together who have skills to sort of teach other people. Um, but it's all part of building that narrative around what could be in a place. And again, building on that asset sense and, and potential. Um, but also we're interested in doing that because it's a very new narrative within fashion to say what is the role of a place, particularly in, in the UK, in changing the future of fashion. Because often it's very, again, very much seen as a kind of often technocratic changes of how do you shift, um, shift kind of, you know, to more platform models, how do you change from one fiber to another? And actually saying we're looking at it maybe in the wrong way of like, how do you change the global system, but how do you start locally and think what is right for this place and grow up different kinds of textile economies in different parts of the UK and different parts of the world. And that then also leads to a bigger change overall. Um, so the work is a lot of a mix of research often done with communities or done with other organizations and then more kind of design-led processes that are around working together, working collaboratively to explore different ways forward, testing, prototyping ideas, um, and then using that as a kind of way of building a narrative, both locally and more nationally. Um, and so at the, at the RSA would then try and shift kind of policy direction and engage with those sort of stakeholders that have that more um, top-down view of what's happening in an industry. Do you work mostly in the UK or do you have international networks? How does that happen? Yeah, so the, so the um, fellowship is international and um, we most of our fellows are in the UK or Europe, um, but we also have people, I think, in more than 80 countries around the world who, who are part of the RSA. Um, and in different communities, we have different kind of local organisers and hubs. And then in the US and in Oceania, we have... Um, uh, more formal entities where they there are directors that are working in those communities. So we, so within some of our projects, they're UK focused, and other projects are more globally focused. And so, for example, with the with the um, regenerative futures program, we're working really closely with the Oceania team because again, it's an area through kind of an interest in indigenous wisdoms in that part of the world. This is a theme that comes up really, really strongly and resonates. So we're we've been working on kind of event series with them. Um, and exploring what that what that means in in different parts of the world because again it's easy to sort of think think about the regenerative movement from a very kind of UK lens or Western lens and actually it also obviously it is is explored and being explored by different lots of different communities around the world so we're wanting to do again do more connecting up and and kind of seeing how people are exploring in different in different places too in different cultures. Listen, Josie, I feel like I could speak with you uh, for forever and ever. There's still a lot that, of questions that I have, but um, I'm, I'm respectful of your time. And, and, and I guess my, my last question is, what's on your mind? What are things that are on your horizons? It's a little bit the et cetera section where I just try to explore your thinking and, and some of the things that you are, uh, um, that just that, that, that are on your mind and, and ambitions. Good question. Um, I think, so I guess I'm thinking... Personally, I'm really wanting to explore some more of my own heritage. So my dad's family are First Nation Canadian, 
and I, uh, he, neither he or I grew up in that culture, but are really interested in, I'm really interested in exploring how that connects with my work because there's so much, so many exciting things happening um, in Canada around um, Indigenous wisdom and uh, Indigenous land rights. Um, so yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about exploring that. And because I think it's also a way of thinking about how, like you were saying earlier, how do we as individuals show up to work and how do we um, change ourselves as part of the change process? Because you're right, recognising that we are part of, however we're interacting with something, we're, we're part of that change. So having to be kind of reflective around ourselves too. And it's been, that's quite a good thing for me to think about um, how I sort of show up to some of that work. I think similarly as well, I, like probably many people, have spent a lot of time behind a computer for the last couple of years and actually feeling like with this work, it's so important to be, actually to be outside and be with people in, in nature more and wanting to get a bit more of that in my life, I think, this year, because that feels like it's essential to kind of what we're talking about. And then more organisationally, I think, thinking about um, how the RSA as an organisation can, can support that development of and, and unleashing of potential in different places is really exciting I think and with the sort of in, there's a new chapter I think with a new chief executive coming in um, so it feels like a really exciting time to, to think a bit more about that um, as an organization of how do we build this regenerative thinking into to the work we're doing um, so yeah lots of things lots of things happening this year well listen thank you so much really appreciate your time and, and sharing your thoughts um, on, on, on all these very important complex and yet at the same time intuitive um, pieces of thinking thank you Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. This has been the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud. We are in collaboration with Intrepida News. Check us out on www.coconut-thinking.design for blogs, resources, more podcasts, uh, and hopefully a bunch of stuff that you'll find interesting. And of course, you can also find our articles on www.intrepidednews.com. Lots of great writers there, great thinkers. And um, looking forward to getting your thoughts on this podcast, on our blogs. Again, the website is www.coconut-thinking.design. Our next guest is Rob Huben from Agora School. Agora has received a lot of press for the past couple of years in terms of what they're doing with education and opening up completely to the will of the learner in terms of what they want to do that day and how that works. And Rob will show us that actually it makes a lot of sense. Looking forward to that. And uh, until next time, bye-bye.